Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. You know, we were seeing that, that line, it's obviously a scripture as well, but Jesus, the name above every other name. And I think sometimes we can think of it as Jesus is above Bob, <laughs> above Steve, or maybe even, you know, like the, the USA or, or, you know, governmental things. But I was thinking uh, that that verse deals with his authority. So when it says that he's above every other name, he's above shame. He's above guilt. He's above frustration. He's above depression. So anything that you may be facing, he's above it, meaning he has authority. So today I wanted to talk about learning from abundance. I really felt like where we were at as a church, this is something that I uh, taught on um, maybe a couple of years ago to, um, yeah, something a year ago. But I felt like I needed to revisit it because just some of the situations that we were facing as a church family. And so uh, let's get into it. All right. So I want to talk about divine contentment first, but not just divine contentment, but divine joy, a divine reliance and trust in an impossible situation. Philippians 4, 11, 13. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Can you say that with me? For I have learned, I have learned. in whatever state I am, to be content. Now, this is Paul speaking, so we know that he's been in a lot of different situations, right? And so he goes on to say, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he goes on to say, the one that we all know, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And a lot of times we have that, that scripture verse up on, on our office wall and it's like someone rowing, you know, a lake or climbing a mountain. And a lot of times we think of it as I can do all things. I can fulfill my call. I can fulfill the things that are within inside of my heart. But the real context of this verse is like, no, the difficult things, I can do those. Do you do difficult things well? That is a good question. Contentment means freedom from worry, anxiety, restlessness, peaceful satisfaction. It also means independent of external circumstances, meaning my external reality does not have the power to control my internal reality. So what is that talking about? It's talking about self-control. It's talking about self-governance. So I have the power... I have the power to control my internal climate. So if all hell is breaking loose around me, who's, who's in charge of the thermostat inside? Me. 
And so this is what Paul is talking about. I can do all things. No matter what's happening around me, I have the power to control what's happening on the inside of me. So where does Paul get this self-control? We see it in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Amplified says, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. So I love this thought that self-control is actually a byproduct of our connection with the Holy Spirit. That self-control is a byproduct of connection to the Holy Spirit. Yes, yes, the Holy Spirit has authority, but he's also empowered us to control ourselves. So this type of self-control is beyond my ability. How many of you, when was the last time that you forced yourself to have the peace that passed all understanding? What's past your understanding? Your ability in your mind. So when was the last time that you manufactured a piece that passed all understanding? You can't. It's a reflection of connection. All right? When was the last time, well, is it always easy to love your enemies? No. That's a type of love that comes from the Holy Spirit, our connection to the Holy Spirit. When's the last time that you had joy in the midst of your trials and temptations? Well, we're commanded to, right? But we can't manufacture that up. Isn't this great how this is going? Oh, another bad report. (laughs) So it's a type of joy that is a reflection of our connection. Are you guys following me? So when when I say the self-control that comes from the Holy Spirit is something that we cannot actually manufacture on our own. Come on. So no matter what situation Paul found himself in externally, he was able to rule or govern his internal through Christ who strengthened him. He was able to have peaceful satisfaction in the midst of external uncertainty. Paul's ability was dependent upon Christ's sufficiency. And would you say that's ample supply? So this also tells us that we have to view Christ as abundant. Right? Because if you don't think he has ample supply, when things start going on or bad around you, all hell's going to break loose. Why is that? Because how am I going to fix this? How am I going to work this out? But who are we relying on? Who does Paul tell us to rely on? on his sufficiency. So we can boldly say, no matter my external circumstance, my heart is able to remain content, free from worry, fear, and restlessness. I am able to rule myself through Christ who strengthened me. Notice that contentment was something that Paul had to learn. It wasn't like you roll out of bed and be like, I'm just so content in this horrible situation. So how do you learn? I would say you learn by reason of use. So if you're like, well, this is what scripture says, then why why am I not feeling it? Have you learned? Have you practiced it? 
He says, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. That word learned in the Greek means to learn by use and practice, to be in the habit of or accustomed to. You know, a lot of us kind of get frustrated when things don't happen right away. When things don't happen supernaturally. God, I just need you to do it. But guess what? We have an opportunity to learn to be in whatever state we're in to be content. Learned means the process of, so learned is a process of maturity, growth, development, and character through the work of the Holy Spirit. So we might look at that and say, wow, that seems like a lot. But what does it end with? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So who do we need to be connected to? Who, who do we need to draw from? So divine contentment is a reflection of connection. So I'm not saying that, I think there's kind of an extreme to the other side where um, we act like nothing's bothering us. Like we get like that in church sometimes. You know, you got this horrible report at the doctor's and you come in, how's it going brother? Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> Everything's awesome. Oh, well, the Lego movie, you know, that one. everything is awesome. No, right? And so that could be the flip side. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we're not going to face things. And I'm not saying that there's not a time to be real and honest with those around us. But it's still, are we responding from Christ's sufficiency? Since this is the work of the Holy Spirit, why do so many Christians struggle with realizing contentment? How many of you have the Holy Spirit? Amen. If you don't, come see us after the service. We can fix that. So if, if we have the Holy Spirit and it's the work of the Holy Spirit, why don't we always function in divine contentment? It's a good question. Well, I believe it's a, uh, an issue of posturing and intentionality. This means I must posture myself to be a student of it. And pastor was saying posture as humility. If we don't see this passage of scripture in full context, we miss what, that Paul, we miss the full, well, if we don't see the passage, this passage in full context, we miss that Paul explains the steps he took to learn contentment. You want to know what they are? Sure. All right. I got so much time. All right. Paul, Paul clearly marks out the steps that he took to walk in complete contentment. Philippians 4, 9, oh, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I love that. Rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you just missed what you just read, always rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So what is the cause? What is the effect? What is the, the reason and the result? Well, the first one was rejoice in the Lord always, only if it's going well. That's not what it says. Always, always rejoice in the Lord. So when you're going through it, rejoice in the Lord. And if you miss it, he said, again, I say, rejoice in the Lord. And then he goes on to say, interact with those around you with gentleness. So you're telling me that my internal peace also is determined by how I treat other people? Huh, that's, that's interesting. Who would have thought that? I would have never thought that one. Uh, the next one is fear nothing. Don't worry about a thing. Do you want to sing it? Okay, that's not the one I was thinking of. Okay, I was thinking, don't worry, be happy. All right. But there's a lot of them. I was like, I didn't know that one. Before my time. And then it goes on to say prayer and supplication. Prayer is about communion or communicating with with the Holy Spirit, but supplication is about seeking, asking, or inquiring. It means that you're desiring understanding. Then it goes on to say, be, be thankful. Let your request be made known, casting your cares, being honest and vulnerable. Then Paul declares that the Spirit of God will watch over and guard your hearts and mind. That's powerful. You know, a lot of times, like we definitely preach it here that we have a responsibility to guard our hearts and minds, right? It's in Proverbs. But this here, it says, if you do these things, what does it say? It says, he will watch over your heart and mind. Come on. And I would say he's probably better at it than we are. And then he seals it with, finally, brethren, he exhorts us to meditate on these things, and it goes through the list. This is how you experience peace in any situation. So what is he saying? We have to partner with the presence of peace. Then he goes on to say, the things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is teaching us how to steward God's presence so that we can experience the increased manifested presence of peace, which is contentment. What is contentment? Freedom from worry. How many of you ever worry? Okay, everybody can raise their hand, right? Freedom from fear. Okay, we can all raise our hand with that. Peaceful satisfaction. How many, how, how many of you have ever been restless before? So Paul lays it out. This is what you do to partner with the Holy Spirit to receive peace. How do we experience divine contentment? And we kind of talked a little bit about it. We must co-labor with Christ. 
Philippians 4, 7, and 9. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. And then in verse 9, the things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So this is really a beautiful example of what co-laboring looks like. We're doing our part, and he'll do his part. I like to think of co-laboring as his desire for and our faith too. So if God desires that you to be in health in your soul, well, that's his desire, but do we have faith for it? That's what it means to co-labor, his desire for and our faith too. Our mentality must be one of abundance. So the question was, how do we experience divine contentment? The first one was, is we must co-labor with Christ. The second thing is, and I'm sure there's more, but there's only so much time to preach. Uh, the second thing is our mentality must be one of abundance. And abundant means that there is more than enough, that there is ample supply, that there is sufficient supply. What does the Amplify say? I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. So true abundance is not the excess of possessions. True abundance is a person. I'm going to say it again. True abundance is not the excess of possessions. True abundance is a person. Why is that? Because he is all sufficient. <laughs> Everything that we need he has supply for. Because the truth is, possessions can come and, come and go, right? And the feelings of possessions can come and go. How many of you like, you bought a new car and you're like, I will never eat in this car. <laughs> and now you look at it and there's 18 French fries on the floor and stuff like that. So the feeling of possessions come and go, right? It smells like McDonald's. <laughs> That would be great if there was a fragrance, you know, you got to put the thing in and you're like, oh, maybe that would be a bad thing. So it's not what we possess that gives us abundance, but who possesses us that ultimately provides us with true abundance. Are you possessed by all sufficiency? Come on. So our contentment is directly connected to our mentality, our mindset of abundance. And what do I actually mean by that? I mean that we have to see Jesus correctly to actually walk in true abundance. Because if we don't see him as an abundant God, we're going to have to figure things out on our own, right? But a fruit is a reflection of connection. Say it again. A fruit is a reflection. It actually shows us that we are in connection. So what is true abundance? It's the person of Jesus. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So how do we establish a mentality of abundance? First and foremost, we must accept and believe that we are loved by a Father that is abundant in all things. What did I say? We will not have an abundant mentality if we believe that God withhold things from us. We have to believe that our God is abundant and he gives good gifts to his children. James 1.17 
Every good, say every good. And every perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So James clearly states if it's good and if it's perfect, perfect means wanting nothing necessary to completeness. Wow. Meaning everything that you need, he has supply for. So what does he say? Jane says, if it's good and it's perfect, it comes from above. Means it's signed. Meaning his name is on it. Right? His name is on it. So if it's good, whose name is on it? God's. If it's perfect, whose name is on it? If it's stealing, whose name is on it? John 10.10, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Whose name is on it? And guess what? What does Jesus, or what does, and what does John say, right? Or, or no, Jesus said, uh, I was like, John or Jesus? Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. So, see, that kind of threw me off a little bit, but that's okay. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, but he's come to give life. And life more abundantly. So if it has life on it, who does it come from? Whose name is on it? Come on. And then it says, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning, meaning it's sealed. It means he does not change. He is consistent in giving of good gifts and perfect gifts. Come on. So this gives us a confident hope, an assured expectation. But I love what the verse says before it. James 1.16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. What is he saying? Because he goes on to say, what does he say? That every good and perfect gift. But right before that, he says, do not be deceived. So what are we being deceived of? That our God doesn't give good gifts. That he doesn't give perfect gifts. Come on. So what is he saying? He said, don't be tricked into believing a lie about our father. See, a lot of times in religion, it says, oh, you know, that stealing that's happening in your life, God's teaching you a lesson. That killing in your life, God's teaching you something. But what does James say? Do not be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. There's a lot of attention and value given to our ability to learn from pain, suffering, lack, difficult situation. And the truth is, we're being influenced at all times. You're being influenced right now when you put on the TV. You're being influenced when you're talking to a coworker that has a bad attitude. You're being influenced. Or a good attitude. We're always being influenced. Influence is always coming and going. So is it true that we can learn from pain? Yeah, it's true. It's true that we can learn from suffering. Yeah, that's true. But what do we want to learn from? The question that we have to ask ourselves, what are the lessons we want to shape us? Will the lesson be in the problem or the solution? Will the lesson be in the problem or the solution? Will the lesson be in the lack or the abundance? Come on.
Will the lesson be in the pain or restoration? How many of you have ever experienced relational pain? You don't have to raise your hand because everybody's experienced it. What do you want to shape you? The pain or the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of that? Because the pain, you know what it does? It teaches you to be bitter and angry. And you know what? I can't trust you anymore. I can't trust anybody anymore. Because the lesson was in the pain. It wasn't in the restoration. Come on. The truth remains, God is able to reveal his goodness in any situation. What does he say? Every good and perfect gift. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things. All things. As believers, we just don't have abundance. We walk with the person of abundance. So this is why Paul could boldly declare that he could do all things to Christ who strengthened him. Why? Because Paul's ability was dependent upon Christ's sufficiency. So let me ask you this. What did Paul learn from? Did he learn from the lack? Did he learn from the need? What did he learn from? In all situations, I've learned to be content. How did he learn to be content? By Christ's sufficiency, not from the pain of the experience. Are you guys getting this? I'm not saying that we won't experience pain. I'm not saying that we won't suffer or have difficult times. But what do we want to shape us? Are you guys following me? His revelation did not come from being abased. It came from the understanding of God's abundance in every situation. His kingdom revelation came from the abundance that he had in Christ, not the circumstances of being abased. So if you need being abased to learn something, what are you going to have a lot of? Abasement. <laughs> When's the last time you put in an abasement? Okay. <laughs> All right. Right? We're going to need a lot of pain to learn. I mean, there are, I have three kids and, and I've been a pastor and, and I've seen it, but some people feel like they need to touch the fire to get it. But you don't have to. You know what? We have people in our lives that can help lead us and guide us and say, you know what? That, that fire's hot. Come on. When you learn from the problem itself, your thinking becomes cynical. You begin to see the problem in everything because the lesson was in the problem. See, there it is again. It happened again. They're trying to get me. They're trying to hold me back. Because what did I learn? I learned from the problem. I didn't learn from forgiveness and his abundant grace. Are you guys following me? The truth is you can learn from problems, but what do you want to shape you? How many of you have ever learned from the problem? Every person can raise their hand on that one. So I'm not preaching at any, I'm talking to myself. We've all done it. 
But what I'm saying is our mentality has to shift to his abundance in any situation. So do we want the pain of a situation or do we want his abundance to shape us? Remember, abundance is not... uh, Abundance is not just getting a bunch of possessions. It's a person. It's Jesus. If you learn from lack, you'll begin to see lack in every situation. You know what I've learned? And I've experienced lack. I got to do this, this, and this so I don't ever experience lack again. And then God says, step out of the boat. No, that will produce lack right there. Right? If I do that, it's going to happen because I've learned that if I do that, I'll have lack. And I'm not having lack anymore. And God says, come out of the water. Come out on the waters. Come on. If pain is what shapes your thinking, you'll see pain in every opportunity. You know what? When I stepped out and did that, someone said, that was ridiculous. How could you? And you know what? Every time the Lord says, step out and do something, you know what I hear? You know what I learned from pain? Whispering in your ear. Do we want pain to shape us? Or do we want his presence to shape us? Come on. But when you learn from God's abundance in the midst of the problem, remember I said, we're going to experience things. I'm not denying that. But when we learn from God's abundance in the midst of the problem, you become hopeful. The result, you begin to see the promise in everything. I saw God move there. What's he going to do now? What's he going to do now? Because what, what have I learned from? Oh, great, another impossible situation. I'm so excited. What, what is God going to do now? But if we learn from the pain, oh, an impossible situation, I might fail. But that's what I've learned. Come on. You begin to see the solution in every situation. What does Paul say? I can do all things. Why can he do all things? Because he saw God come through that time. He saw God come through that time. He saw God change hearts there. He saw God heal this. He saw God restore that. Why can he say, I could do all things? Because he learned from the abundance of God, not from the pain of the situation. James 1.5 I love this. If any of you is deficient in wisdom, meaning you're lacking wisdom, let him ask of the giving God who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly without reproach or fault finding, and it will be given to him. Now, wisdom in that context or wisdom in the Greek there, it means a couple different things, but I pulled this one out. Wisdom is the skill in the management of affairs. How many of you need skill in handling your affairs. Well, right there it says, if you lack it, ask. And he doesn't point fingers. He gives it liberally. Come on. 
But if we believe that God is not an abundant God and he withholds to teach us things because of pain, come on. I, I, I think I've heard Chris Valentin say, uh, God gets accused of things that would be child abuse. <laughs> come on. The lesson to be learned is not in the lack, but the abundance. If we believe that God's method of teaching us is through lack, pain, suffering, we will begin to need to remain in a place of lack to receive the lesson. It's like we believe that experiencing it is what is teaching us. Like I said, these things will happen, but what should we run to? Who is our source? John 10.10. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly or overflowing. And I've said this before, but whose name is on it? I think that's a really good exercise to do. If you're experiencing something, whether it's relationally, financially, physically, you need to say whose name is on it. Is it stealing? Well, we know whose name is that, whose, whose name is on it. Is it life-giving? Well, then we know whose name is on it. See, a lot of times we, we won't know what to war against because we think God is doing something that the enemy's name is all over it. Why would you resist something if you knew God was trying to teach you a lesson through it? Well, God's teaching me something. You know, the washers broke again. I shouldn't have swore at the kids last night. God's trying to teach me something. Come on. No one has ever done that before. Never. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> Don't ask my kids. All right. <laughs> Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So this verse plainly states that the tongue is powerful, and it's up to you where you like to extend that power to. See, a lot of times people will look at this and say, the tongue is evil. And the tongue is good. Well, which one is it? All I, all I believe it says is that the tongue is powerful. But what will you give power to? Come on. So what is the purpose of a tongue? What was the original design? I believe it was created to be powerful so that it could empower or give life to things. To extend authority or power to someone or something. Do you realize that your tongue has the power to sustain dead things? What does this verse say? That the tongue has power. How many of you have ever been offended before? Okay, how about whenever I ask a question, everybody just raise their hand because these questions are real. Everybody, right? Everybody's, you've been offended. And how many of you have ever relived it? You talked about it. What does it do? It gives it power. So this is how I think of the tongue. 
Oh, we had a dead thing in our life, a dead thing being an offense. What do we do? We give it CPR. And what are we doing? We're keeping dead things alive by our tongue. Come on. What do you want to give life to? This verse isn't saying that the tongue is evil and it's good. It's saying what? It is powerful, but what do you want to extend that power to? Everybody lets me down. Come on, stay alive, stay alive, stay alive. I'm such a failure. Come on, come on, come on. I had an encounter with God last night, and God really killed you that time, but let's breathe life into it. All right, I'll move on before I get into trouble. The opposite is true, right? What do you want to be breathing life into? That you're valuable and that you're wanted and you belong. Jesus makes this definitive statement. This is what the fruit looks like when it comes from the enemy. John 10.10. This is what the fruit looks like when it comes from the enemy. This is what I have come to bring, and you will know it from me by the type of fruit that it produces. What fruit do we want to empower with our tongue? What is our tongue giving life to? I find a real disconnection between learning from lack and being an being adopted by a father that is abundant in all good things. If we believe the lesson is in the problem, we'll be on the lookout for problems. Rather than always being on the lookout for Christ in every situation. It, it really is a mind shift that has to take place. This is why in Philippians 4, Paul makes the connection between our contentment, our peaceful satisfaction, and our eyes, what has our attention. In the midst of a problem, what is our tongue giving power to? In the midst of lack, what is our tongue giving power to? In the midst of pain, Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. So when we're in pain, what are, what are Paul's instruction? Rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because your tongue has power. Come on. Are we allowing the kingdom to shape us or the problem? If we're not aware, everything and anything will shape us. A lesson that pain likes to teach you is not to trust people. That's a lesson that we learn from pain. I can't trust people, or I can't trust you. But his abundance grace leads us to forgiveness and strength. Was the kingdom life lesson in the pain or the grace? Which one do you guys think? 
What do you think the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us? Grace and the abundance of grace? Or you can't trust people? Come on. A lesson that suffering likes to teach us that it must be my fault that I experience this. But his abundance of love shows us that we have been called to abundant life that is free from condemnation. What do you think the lesson was in? His abundant life, not in the suffering. I think a lot of these mentalities come from the dark ages where people just beat themselves, beat themselves to become righteous or holy. A lesson that like that lack likes to teach us is that you are responsible to meet all your needs by your own strength. But his abundant power within us teaches us that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Where do you think the lesson's in? Come on. So much attention is given to the problem in our society that it can become easy to slip into this type of thinking as a believer. But what is, this, what is the perspective of a believer? It's faith. If you're a believer, your, your worldview is one of faith. Are you guys following me? Bill Johnson said, Faith does not deny a problem's existence. It denies it a place of influence. So I'm not suggesting that we just deny things. Like you're about ready to lose your house. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. How's it going, brother? Amazing. Amazing. So we're not saying that we don't deny a problem's existence, but it doesn't have the power to influence us or to shape us. Come on. Matthew 14, 15. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. So a deserted place is a place where their need for hunger could not be met. There were no Starbucks. There was no Mickey D's. There was no um, China House buffet. <laughs> and some say amen. But the funny thing is they called it a, listen, listen they called it a deserted place right after they saw supernatural healing. Come on. They just saw Jesus heal people of diseases and infirmities. And what did they call it? A deserted place where your need could not be met. Don't you think Jesus is about ready to give them a lesson? <laughs> Send them away to meet their own need. But Jesus had another plan to teach, right? In another telling of this encounter, Jesus asked Philip a question. Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? In John 6, 6. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. 
I love it. John 6, 7, Philip replied, even if we work for months, we won't have enough money to feed them. Even in our own strength, if we worked a whole month, we couldn't feed all these people. It's a deserted place anyways. (laughs) Have you ever felt in a deserted place, a dry place? Matthew 14, 16 through 18. But then Jesus said to them, they, don't not, they do not need to go away. I love this. You give them something to eat. Let's, let's just put ourselves in their position and learn something. They don't need to go away, Tracy. You give them something. I know you brought some, some fish and some loaves. And, and they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. Fish, He said, bring them to me. Oh, something's about ready to happen. Come on. What's the problem? We don't have enough to feed them. We don't have enough sufficiency. What does Jesus say? Bring what you have to me. Well, I don't have enough to do this. Bring what you have to me. You know, if I worked 500 years, I couldn't do half the things that you called me to. Bring what you have to me. Come on, guys. It's possible that the five loaves and two fishes, or fish, fishes or fish? Fish, all right. My version said fishes, all right. (laughs) We're just enough. I'm joking, people. Come on. Uh, It's possible that the five loaves and two fish were just enough to fulfill the need of the disciples. How do I know that? Mark 6, 31. And he said to them, this is right before all this happened. Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they will need time to eat. So what was the five, li- five loaves and two fish for? For themselves to eat. Right? Well, still, it was for them to eat, right? They, they, what does it say, pastor? For there were many coming and going, and they did not have time to eat. Why did they go to a secluded place, pastor? Oh, see, we're going to have to talk about this after church. All right. All right, fine. Meaning they went to a place, to, to a secluded place to eat. Notice that this lesson in abundance is predicated on the disciples giving all that they had. So the solution was, bring what you have to me. What did we talk about in the beginning? Co-laboring with Christ. Luke 5, 4 through 6. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, fishes, and their net was breaking. 
Mices are mice. So what was the last example? The last example in a deserted place, let me show you the abundance that I can. What was he teaching? He was teaching abundance. In this situation, what is he teaching? Abundance. First, for Peter's first response is coming from a place of experience, which is a place of lack, right? Right? Is a place of lack. Listen, we've been toiling all night. We've been doing this. We've tried it before. Thank you. In the same breath, he says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Notice in these two examples where the kingdom, where kingdom abundance was demonstrated, there was a recognition and submission to the authority of Jesus. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net were breaking. Peter's introduction into the kingdom was a demonstration of abundance. His first lesson was one of trust and an abundant harvest. So his previous reality was one of lack, but in the kingdom, it was one of abundance. It's important that we challenge lessons that we've learned through the lens of pain, suffering, difficulty, and lack. When we learn through, the, through pain, we keep the baggage of it. If we allow lack to be the lesson giver, we will be afraid to be generous and choke out the sower. If we learn from lack, we'll be afraid and we'll choke out our ability to sow. It's important that we challenge the lessons that we've learned through the lens of pain, suffering, difficulty, and lack. When we learn through pain, we keep the baggage of it. Is it possible to feel spiritually dry? Is it possible to feel distance from the presence of God? Yes, it's possible, right? But is it biblical? And what I mean by biblical is that a spiritual drought lacks separation as part of God's planned journey in an effort to bring you closer to him. Okay, think about this. If this statement was true, I could get up and preach a sermon and say, you know what, guys, you need to get closer to God. I think what you need to do is really ignore him. You know, kind of like when he starts speaking to you, think about other things. Think about your day. That would be great. Because when you feel distant from him, it actually draws you closer to him. But we hear things like this, that spiritual droughts are to bring you closer to him. I say it's possible to have a spiritual drought, but I don't believe it's part of God's plan. I believe it's possible, sure. But I don't think it's he, he removes himself to draw you closer. I believe that in everything, in all things, he does, he teaches us, he draws us through. What leads us to repentance? The goodness of God. It's true, that the, it's true that the prodigal son experienced lack, but on every occasion, the father taught him through abundance. Is it true that the prodigal son was with the pigs, eating with the pigs? His life was a mess, right? That's true. But when he says, you know what, father, I wish you weren't around anymore because I would like my inheritance. What did he do? He gave it to him, Right? And guess what? When he was in the pit and, and he came to his senses, what happened? 
He met him, put a cloak on him, had a party. Why did Jesus, why did he, why did Jesus teach in parables? To show us what the kingdom of God looked like. How did the father teach his son? Through abundance. And why did the son realize that he needed to go back to the father? Even the servants in my father's house have it better than me. Come on now. Thank you, Father. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So it would be against the nature of God to lead us into anything that wasn't life and life more abundantly into a place of lack. Wait a second. Didn't the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness? Yeah, okay. Have you ever wondered why Jesus was led into the wilderness? My thought is, he went where the enemy was to confront him. Where was the enemy at? In a deserted place. Come on. It was a place of death. It was a place of lack. It was a place of isolation. It was a place of barrenness. Why was he led there? To confront the enemy. But was Jesus empty? Did Jesus' internal reality match his external circumstance? Luke 4, 1 through 2. Then Jesus, full of the whole... Wait, wait a second. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all that time and became very hungry. So his external reality was barren and lacking, but what was his internal reality? He was full of the Holy Spirit. Luke 4, 3 through 4. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So Jesus' answer reveals to us true, what true abundance looked like. I may not have eaten, but I have feasted on every word of God. No matter what's happening, on the ex, what's happening externally, he's feasted and he is full internally. Are you guys following this? So a lot of times, if we're experiencing things on the outside, what should our response be? To feast on the word of God. Come on. Suggesting that to live a full abundant life is to feed on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So this passage of scripture clearly shows us how to respond when we are confronted with lack, pain, difficulty, so that we can walk in the abundance provided for us in Christ. What is it? Be full of the spirit and confront the enemy with the word. How do you confront the enemy with the word? You feast on it. Come on. Some basic stuff. 
This is really important because if we believe that it's part of God's nature to teach us from a place of lack, we won't have any power to confront the enemy. If we believe that God, if that was a little Pentecostal there. If we believe that God leads us to a place of lack, leads us to a deserted place to teach us something, when the enemy comes, what will we have? What power will we have to confront him? And finally, I want to declare something over you. Just bow your heads. In the name of Jesus, I pray that God, this is what Paul spoke over the Romans. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit, bubbling over with hope and to overflow with confidence in his promise. Lord, we just release that right now in the name of Jesus. We know that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And so, Lord, we just partner with what you're doing. God, we don't have to try to convince you to be a good father. You are a good father, and you give good gifts for your children. And so, Lord, we just, we just believe, God, we just believe that you're pouring your goodness and your mercy out upon us right now in the name of Jesus, that we will bubble over with hope and to overflow with confidence in your promise. Lord, we just receive it. Let's just take a quick moment and just receive what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just release it right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we have the healing teams come up?